The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pa the Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 15 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Hello to all of you lovely listeners, and thank you for tuning back in to another episode of Pada Chat Talking Dance. Uh, if you think that my voice sounds extra sexy today, it's because I just woke up. And that's the only time that I have to record this podcast this week, so <laughs> I'm not sick like I was last week. I'm feeling much better. Thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so if my voice sounds a little weird, that's why. But I, I hope that you all enjoyed a relaxing and fun-filled beginning to the summer this past Memorial Day weekend. I, of course, spent much of it teaching classes at Steps on Broadway and Broadway Dance Center. But I was sure to take a little bit of time to stop and smell the roses and to celebrate my first wedding anniversary with my husband, which was actually on Memorial Day. Now that May has officially passed, it seems that the craziness that has been my first half of the year has calmed down just a bit, right before the summer ramps up. So... For now, I will just be teaching my regular 6 p.m. Friday Advanced Beginner Ballet classes at Broadway Dance Center. Uh, Did I say on Friday? Yes, I said Friday. Um, And I just found out that those have been extended through the end of September. So that's very exciting. Uh, I'll also be picking up Advanced Intermediate Ballet classes at Steps on Broadway every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for a majority of the month of June. So you'll have to check out their, their schedule on their website, Steps on Broadway. Um, I actually think I'll be reclaiming, uh, my weekend for a few weeks. I'm not sure if that's true. Who knows? Uh, that's completely foreign to me. I don't even remember what it feels like to have a, a full weekend. Anyway, hopefully I'll actually find some time to rest, regroup, and relax. And if anybody is looking for some great choreography or master classes with my little bit of extra time, uh, I might be able to fit a few in this summer. So send me a message and we can hopefully work something out. It's pretty uncommon. I actually don't usually have weeks like this, but every once in a while I completely block up on creating content. Um, this can happen with my blog where I post usually every other week and on my podcast, which is a weekly thing. Uh, but since I often don't struggle to develop fun content to discuss with my audience, it can be especially frustrating when I suddenly find myself blocked. With that said, it took me a while, but I finally settled on a topic that is actually quite relevant at the moment, considering most, uh, ballet company seasons are in their last hurrah mode. Uh, a lot of these, the companies across the country, they are, they usually finish their seasons with full-length ballets, um, and usually a handful of our favorite dancers are retiring. I've been seeing a lot of Instagram posts lately and Facebook posts saying goodbye to dancers. Um, and I was sitting at brunch the other morning with some old friends, and we were discussing a dancer who had just debuted the title role in Giselle with American Ballet Theater. 
Um, American Ballet Theater, they are in the middle of their season right now. Uh, they, they have, they're very different than most companies across the country where most companies are spread out between September and, and the beginning of June. They have like an eight week season <clears throat> right at the end of the spring and leading into the summer. They do like eight different ballets, but mostly full length classical ballets. So, this dancer that we were talking about after years of being pushed aside and missing opportunities, Sarah Lane, who is an ABT soloist, apparently killed her debut. It's a good thing. <laughs> I've been reading this on one of my favorite websites, uh, the sometimes gossipy and always critical ballet alert, um, <clears throat> which is a ballet forum if you want to check that out, where you can chat and gossip and get ideas and learn and blah, 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 all that good stuff. Uh, but apparently this past week, there were three other dancers who had their New York City debuts in this role. The others being the famous Misty Copeland and also Jillian Murphy, I believe the current longtime ballerina at American Ballet Theater. Uh, thinking of these three dancers and then thinking of sitting through three Giselle three times in a row, it reminded me of a conversation that often comes up in my classes with my students. And this is trying to get them to bring more, more to their dancing. Uh, and that, that conversation is usually, why would a person go back to see the same ballet over and over again from year to year? Uh, it, it's simple and the answer is right in front of your face, but it's not necessarily... Uh, it's it's not necessarily something you think of. We often go back to see the same production year after year, not because we are so in love with the ballet, but instead because we are curious how a different dancer will interpret the role. While the steps may be old and the music may, be, may sound familiar, it is the choices that a dancer makes with the guidance of their coaches and with their own personal preferences that really makes repeat viewings of a work worthwhile. So, keeping this in mind, I want to discuss a few aspects of a dancer's performance that change from artist to artist that many may not be able to concretely explain. Uh, my hope is that if you're a viewer, it will help better. Uh, or it will it'll better help you understand these intriguing choices a dancer makes. And for dancers, I'm hoping that it will help you work on these items to become your most auspiciously unique self. Um, I feel that dancers are always so tied, especially in this competition era. Uh, I feel that they're so tied to getting their legs to their ears and to doing like seven pirouettes. Those are not the things that have uh, audiences coming back to watch you from show to show, from production to production, from year to year. So, let's chat about a few of these. Alrighty, one of the first and foremost things that uh, really can separate you from other dancers um, and qualities, obviously, is personality. Um, now, we all have our own personal personality. Um, a lot of students that I teach, I have students that are very outgoing. I have students that are extremely shy. I have students that are quiet. Uh, I have students that are sassy. I have uh, a range of, of students. So, <clears throat> they, and they, those are all their own personal personalities. Now, as kids are younger, they tend to dance what they're actual personality is, but as we grow and mature as artists, um, you actually notice that people's personalities on stage can be very different than their personalities uh, just as a normal person in their regular everyday life. Um, so yeah, personalities are really distinguishing when it comes to uh, 
stage personas. So uh, that is obvious, the most obvious one. Um, I, I don't really have much to say about that because it's pretty straightforward. Um, one thing we go back to watch is a dancer's personality. And yes, people do feel connected to dancers. Um, even if, say, that uh, shy dancer is dancing Kitri, she could be very outgoing. She could be more demure in her approach, and that could separate her from other uh, other dancers that dance the role of Kitri. Um, another factor that really can define artists and make different interpretations is phrasing. Um, and I didn't really learn that much about phrasing until I went to the School of American Ballet. I don't know why at the Kirov we didn't really talk about this very much um, in our Vaganova training, but in Balanchine we definitely talked about this. Um, so phrasing. It's uh, essentially accents and punctuation within your dancing. Um, I'm choreographing a new work for a chamber ballet company um, up in New York City called Cello Point. Um, and we were actually talking about phrasing yesterday um, because I choreographed a solo that is very fast and also the music is not straightforward. It's, it doesn't count up to eight or four or whatever it is. Uh, in music, they'd say four. In ballet, they'd say eight. Um, <clears throat> but it doesn't count that way because the, it, the music has multiple time signatures. Um, so it can be really confusing when you're trying to go through the music um, and you feel like you're about to hit a note and you miss it. And I noticed one of the dancers felt like she was getting frustrated during that moment and I said look really it's not so much about you being so perfect on the music because uh, yeah that would be great but at the same time it's every time a dancer dances the solo it's going to be different and that's actually going to take a little bit of explanation too in my piece all three of the, the dancers in the piece could potentially dance any of the three solos it's decided on stage so it's an exciting little <clears throat> little thing that I'm doing but um so the differences between the three dancers will be the choices that they make. And I, I told her, if you miss something in, in the music or if you decide to embellish or extend something for a little bit longer in the music, you might get behind, um, which isn't a bad thing if you get back on the music. Um, so phrasing, for instance, if you're watching uh, Giselle, because since we've been talking about Giselle, um, if one dancer decides to hold a balance really long at one point, they may actually have to do the steps that come after it faster than it was taught because they have to catch back up to the music because they chose, they made the decision to uh, accent and hold that 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 balance a little bit longer where another dancer maybe they fell off of that balance <laughs> uh, accidentally but their choice on stage that differentiates them from others is that the next steps that they do instead of speeding through them to get back on the music they actually have to slow them down so that they can take up more time so the music can catch up with them um, it's really those choices in, in phrasing that I think, especially in American dance, balancing dances were really known for this. Um, but it's it's really something that can differentiate you and, and really is why, uh, looking at New York City Ballet, who they perform very long seasons and they've been performing the same ballets for years and years and years and years, the same Balanchine ballets and Jerome Robbins ballets. Uh, people keep on going back for, I mean, there are balletomans, those are people that love ballet, um, that go to watch the ballet. There are people that come back every year and see the same dancers do it, to see how they've grown and changed, to see the new dancers coming in, to see how they're going to do it differently. Um, and really that's, that's the exciting part. Uh,
especially going to see live live dance, you can see the growth of a dancer and you can start to uh, attach yourself to dancers that you like and uh, you get to be a part of their growth. Um, it's, I don't know, I think it's part of what makes dance special. Alrighty, other things that differentiate <clears throat> dancers uh, from that are the, the, the changes and the choices that dancers make that pull them apart and also make you want to go back to see uh, different interpretations. Personal imagery, using personal imagery to reveal what music would look like. Um, I say this also constantly in my classes. Uh, when you hear a, a, an instrument play music, um, I always say, what what does the music look like? And they usually mention sheet music. So you have white paper with the the, the lines and the clefts and the time signatures and the, the notes and everything. But that's not technically music. That's uh, just symbols put on a piece of paper to tell you how you should play. The music is actually the vibration that comes out of your instrument, whether you're blowing it in or you're pulling a bow across a string or hitting a key into a, a harp and a piano. Um, so <clears throat> that's not actually... Uh, yeah, that that's the actual music. So as a dancer, you you can't ever really see music unless you had like a meter that measured vibration. So um, as a dancer, what our job is to to do is to practice the art of taking the music into our ears, and then imagining and playing around with the idea of what music would uh, physically look like. Um, and of course, through our play and through our practice, we are all going to interpret it differently. So. It's kind of along the idea of, um, for instance, I think that music can rotate. For instance, uh, for instance, for instance, uh, Philip Glass music. It often it it sounds like it's rotating. It'll go ba da 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 ba da 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 ba da 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 ba da 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 because it keeps on going in a few notes and then coming back to the beginning. A few notes coming back to the beginning. So it sounds like it's rotating. So if you have music that's doing something like that, it might make sense for you to turn. Um, if it goes up in pitch, it could go ba da da da. You would maybe go from a lower level to a higher level and the reverse. If it goes down in pitch, you might do that. Um, so really how a dancer plays and practices with the music and how they see it visually, um, that's another differentiation that can can make them interesting and can also help uh, bring an audience back to see how a dancer is going to interpret that. Um, I think also the, the another another thing would be uh, personal interpretation of a story. So, for instance, in story ballets, Giselle, Swan Lake, uh, Sleeping Beauty, all of those, uh, the reason that audiences go back are to see what, what how the dance is going to interpret a role. For instance, um, since we've been talking about Giselle, Giselle is, in, in the first act, she is happy-go-lucky, but she's a little shy because she's been sheltered, because her mom won't really let her go out and do too much because of her heart condition. Um, but once she gets to dance, sometimes dancers will approach it that shyly. Sometimes they will approach it as their one time to go out and do it, uh, that their mom actually let them dance, so they go full broke, full for bro like all out. Uh, they go for broke. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but yeah, they, they they go all out. 
um, and they don't seem shy at all in that moment. Or other dancers may actually use that, their personal interpretation to start off shy and slowly, and once they get to the pique menage, the circle at the end, uh, they start off shy, and by the time they're at that menage, they're going for broke. So a lot of times, audience, they, they love to see that. And it, yes, Audiences can be critical in that sense because they may have the first person that they saw do Giselle that they loved the choices that they made and everybody's going to be compared to that. Um, but one thing that I've been reading that made uh, Sarah Lane so special in her Giselle debut uh, last week or this week or where are we in time? Um, it was last week. Was that uh, the way that she approached her interpretation was extremely unique um, and kind of daring in, in a sense because she didn't choose to do the the typical uh, characterization of Giselle that's being done today. In fact, there was a, a big review that went out that said that nobody has performed it like that since Gelsey Kirkland, which that's been quite a long time since Gelsey Kirkland danced at American Ballet Theater and danced that role. Um, and it, she was fantastic. There's actually an old video of her doing a rehearsal of that. If you go on YouTube, it's beautiful. Um, but yeah, it's very different. So it was quite the compliment and her personal interpretation, it was refreshing, refreshing and exciting. And, uh, people have been saying they want to go back and see it again. So that's, I mean, that's how you sell tickets, people. All right. <laughs> so I think really, uh, going along with that personal interpretation idea, just choosing what to give attention to and not to, um, there are many steps in the ballet, and uh, people, they, they, they make those decisions, what is important, what isn't. Um, and one thing that's really great about companies is that there are, there are many shows for many companies, so you can actually have different chances to try different things. Maybe one day you're feeling a little bit more energized, and you go through a little faster and give a little more attention to the accents that you're using and then on others you feel a little more tired or maybe you go a little slower you uh you have just completely different interpretations so i think that those are really the the defining characteristics uh that differentiate dancers performances and that really like i said invite audiences to return for multiple viewings um it's that's one of the beauties of our art form that you can you don't have to watch for instance if you see a, a movie and that you go to the movie theater or you rent a movie if you see a movie once maybe you watch it again because you really enjoyed it but you're a lot less likely to watch a movie over and over and over and over and over again for 40 years um because you know how it's going to go it's not like you're getting a different interpretation it's on film and it is what it is in dance it's exciting to see say that a company does giselle every three years for ever and you go for 40 years you're essentially seeing it i don't know what is that 10 13 times if you go every year and of course there'll be dancers that retire there'll be multiple dancers that get to try the role and you really uh you get a bunch of opportunities to see what you think is the best interpretation and even get to see a dancer's interpretation evolve over time so
I think this is really interesting stuff. And I think that aside from an audience getting a, uh, some exciting differences between seeing dancers, it's, this information is really valuable for dancers to really assess and address. When I danced in the core de ballet, uh, I thought for years I just had to dance perfectly. Like I had to be exactly on the music as I was told that if I looked like I was having fun and was joyful and didn't stir the pot when it came to being on stage that I, I would move forward. And I think that if I had really embraced the idea that imperfections are what actually make you an interesting dancer and your choices in uh, holding the music or going through the music or getting back to the music are really what are interesting. Um, I think that it, it could have helped me along my way. Of course, I figured it out, but that was after I left the corps de ballet and got to dance leading roles. So, um, I think it's just some really valuable information. I hope that it has helped you along your path, whether you are a viewer or you are a dancer. <laughs> um, so with that, I think we are going to close out this episode. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod of Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. That's www.barrycorollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Corollis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blog, Life of a Freelance Dancer, where I've been writing about working as a freelance artist for over five years. I also have two YouTube channels, B. Corollis, featuring my choreography, and Core-ography. That's Core-ography, featuring my choreographic web series that tells the life-defining stories of professional dancers through revealing interviews and choreography. Thanks for listening in to Pod of Chat. I hope you return next Friday to talk dance with me and remember to go out and support your local dance scene.